This is the Retire Happy Podcast with John Amarino, teaching you each episode about holistic retirement planning. Hello and welcome once again to the Retire Happy Podcast with San Diego's premier holistic advisor, John Amarino, fiduciary financial advisor at Securus Financial, serving you throughout the San Diego area and beyond. John, great to be with you once again on the podcast today. Apologies for my slightly under the weather voice on today's show, but we will persevere and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's that time of the season, right? <laughs> February, the flu season, all that. Definitely. So, it was not as I, bad as the flu. It's pretty minor. It just makes me sound a little funny. Well, you still have an awesome radio voice, Walter. I appreciate it. When you get sick and you've kind of got the good radio voice already, sometimes it makes it even better because it's like it makes you even more gravelly, like, uh, you know, more more Walter Cronkite-ish in a way sometimes. There you go. <laughs> Going old school. A nasally Walter Cronkite, if you will. Uh, well, on today's show, we've got kind of a uh, big news sort of thing to talk about on today's show. We're going to talk about the SECURE Act in a few moments. We're also going to talk about cash cold hard cash all about the benjamins is having too much cash really a thing can there be so much thing as too much cash we're going to talk a little bit about money on today's show some of the the cold hard stuff if you will and uh, we're going to answer a question a little bit later on in the show today from lisa and lisa's talking about meeting with a financial advisor but uh, having a disagreement with her husband about handling investments themselves so we've got a good question to answer for lisa later on in today's show but john let's jump into the big kind of news thing that's been happening over the course of the last couple of weeks we're talking about of course the secure act one of the biggest changes we've seen to the retirement landscape in quite some time and you've been interviewed already on this and uh, published four times in fox business and market watch all relating to the secure act so i know that this is right up your alley and you're totally an expert on this subject and these changes and by the way if you're on the email list for john amarino and of course the, the securest financial folks you have probably seen some emails regarding the secure act we're going to take some time discussing it in more detail on today's show so yeah give us the lowdown john the secure act what's it mean now that it's in place what are the implications and i know a lot of people are going to be affected by this Right. And we are now into uh, month two of the SECURE Act. And this is a big thing. This is going to change the landscape of planning. And, you know, next month we're going to, we're going to deviate from our, our retirement roadmap just to cover this topic because it is going to be part of the retirement roadmap going forward. Um, so what is the SECURE Act? It is the acronym for setting every community up for retirement enhancement. Man, that sounds awesome, doesn't it? It's a mouthful, is, though. <laughs> that is like lipstick on a pig. But guess what? It nonpartisan support, Walter, Congress actually got something accomplished in 2019. And the Dems, the Republicans, the Senate, and Trump all work together for once. It's a festivist miracle, right? It's a miracle. <laughs> a festivist retirement celebration for the rest of us, in other words. Yes, yes, for all you Seinfeld fans. So we did get the SECURE Act passed, and it, it became effective uh, January 1st, 2020. So there are some major things that will impact baby boomer retirees. The biggest is the stretch IRA is eliminated for most non-spouse designated beneficiaries. And what I just briefly say is a designated beneficiary means that it's essentially you have to be a human being, a living person, not like an entity, like a trust. Under the old law, you'd be able to stretch an IRA. 
over the lifetime of the non-spouse beneficiary, where they'd only be required to take out a small RMD based on their age. And this is the most significant change, in my opinion, by the SECURE Act. So it's going to be grandfathered in. So if you've been receiving our beneficiary RMDs and you have been stretching it out prior to, I say, December 31st, 2019, then you're you're fine. You can continue to stretch that out and this will make a couple of my clients very happy. However, for most designated beneficiaries who inherit in 2020 and beyond, the new standard will be the 10-year rule. So first of all, there are no distribution requirements. So under the old law, you had to take an RMD the year after death, uh, just like you would have to if you were over 70 and a half, which is what we'll get to also. Um, there are no more distribution requirements. Um, so designated beneficiaries will have some flexibility when it comes to when they want to take the distributions from their inherited accounts for tax efficiency. But here's what they have to understand. By the end of the 10th year after death, that account balance from that beneficiary IRA or 401k, whatever, must be zero. You cannot have any money left in it. So the legacy ends after 10 years. So you can take out, you know, uh, let's say you inherited $500,000 and just for ease of argument, you had no growth in it, but you could take out $50,000 a year over 10 years, or you could take out $100,000 every other year, $250,000 twice, or you could take $500,000. Just your beneficiaries have to understand that whatever they're taking out is going to be taxed as ordinary income on top of their already ordinary income. Now, there are some exceptions, um, spousal beneficiaries, disabled beneficiaries as defined by the Internal Revenue Code, chronically ill also as defined by the Internal Revenue Code, individuals who are not more than 10 years younger than the decedent, and certain minor children, uh, but only until they reach the age of majority. So I'm just going to quickly go over that since we're going to cover this in further detail next month. Another big area that baby boomer uh, retirees have to do is that it does present some new planning challenges for trusts that named the retirement account as beneficiaries. Now, I always tell my clients this is always good practice to be reviewing your beneficiary designations, and we do it every year. Um, you want to make sure they're still in line with and best serve your wishes. However, the changes introduced by the SECURE Act will make it even more necessary to review situations where trusts are named as a retirement beneficiaries. And, and this basically applies to what's called a see-through trust. And broadly speaking, there are two types of these trusts, a conduit trust and a discretionary trust. And both types of trusts could be unfavorably impacted by the SECURE Act. So get your trust reevaluated make sure that it's not going to harm your designated beneficiaries, that it's not going to make the IRS the biggest beneficiary. And like I always say too, anytime, and this isn't a tax law change, this is a, you know, a retirement law change, but we have the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act also not too long ago. Anytime the tax law changes, you should always have your trust reevaluate because trust formulas could also change. So that is in terms of the stretch IRA provisions. A positive RMDs, required minimum distributions, are going to get pushed back from age 70 and a half to age 72. Now, 
Walter, that's not a huge change, but anytime we can delay an RMD and have relief is welcome news. And it gives people a little bit more time, you know, to potentially do some Roth conversions too. One now, more, one more day we can hold on to our dollars without taxes being paid on them. Right. One more extra day that a penny saved could be a penny earned. Correct. Yeah. Makes so, sense. And in this case, an extra year and a half. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you still, ha- you can still delay until April 1st of the following year. Um, just like you could when you're 70 and a half and thank God, you know, we got rid of the 70 and a half. I mean that it, it actually worked for a couple of my clients that turned 70 in late October, that old half age helped them because they don't turn 70 and a half until this year. So they don't, you know, now they can delay it till age 72 because the one bad part about this, the RMD part is, you know, we always like grandfathering just like the beneficiaries were grandfathered for the, the stretch. Unfortunately, if you already taken RMDs, you must continue. So you don't get it. You know, if you're 71 this year, you, you don't get that relief. And, uh, the other thing is traditional IRA contributions are no longer prohibited beyond age 70 and a half. They got rid of that. So if you have employment income, you can still make contributions uh, to your IRA even after you turn 70 and a half. You couldn't under the old law. For younger people, there's a new exception uh, to the 10% early distribution penalty on, uh, on your retirement accounts for a childbirth or adoption. The kiddie tax reverts to the pre-tax way of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. For businesses, the fiduciary safe harbor now allows a selection of a lifetime income annuity. So, you know, this is something where you it, proceed with caution. You know, you don't want to lock yourself into to a bad annuity, but I do like the option. And I actually told Fox Business, I'm all for options. Just know what you're getting yourself into. And I do like the fact that, you know, the annuity does offer, you know, a potential personal pension. If you're a business owner, small businesses can get a bigger tax credit for establishing a retirement plan. And you also get an additional credit for adoption of auto enrollments. And the maximum contribution for percentages on 401ks and automatic enrollment increased from the default of 10% beginning now in 2020 plans can increase that default percentage as high as 15%. So, uh, and then last but not least on the business side, long-term part-time workers are also provided greater access to employer plans. So a lot to uh, take in there. And we'll go into depth. We'll we'll spend you know a whole podcast just breaking down each thing. But you know this is what I will say about the Secure Act. Fox Business asked me, do, do you think this is going to make things better for the employees? Do you think retirement savings will increase? And you know that's that does has nothing to do with an act. That has to do with you being disciplined and putting that money away and saving. Yes, you're going to have some more options that will help you. But in the end, um, just like with anything, the responsibility lays on your shoulders. So much that we've got to be ready for when all of these things change, John. And I know that that's, that can be hard for some folks, but it's great to have an advisor who will kind of inform you of these different things and look for the opportunities. And uh, your kind of big takeaway, I realize we're going to do a bigger podcast on this next month, but can you give us some mini takeaways or some actionable items somebody could do now 
if they're kind of hearing all these changes and wondering if it affects them or how they can tell how big of an impact it's going to have? Well, it gives you more planning opportunities. And, you know, for a lot of my clients, we, this will affect them because we did, we were planning for the stretch IRA. So, you know, it's, this isn't something that's new, you know, to me, I've been really looking at ways and planning ways to address this for the better half of a year. But, you know, it can come as a shock to all of a sudden it's, it got dropped into people's laps, right? Oh, you know, this thing just got passed in December. Now it's January. You know, I, I am a big fan. You, you know, this Walter of Roth conversions. This is another way that you might want to focus on that Roth conversion, especially if you are looking to pass money to your kids um, because you will be passing a tax bill to them. And I always say, you know, I, the question I always ask, who would you rather make the biggest beneficiary? your kids or the IRS. And, you know, if you left $500,000 to a child and they ain't touched that money for 10 years and what happens if that money grows to a million dollars? And yeah, now they have a bigger tax bill. So you, there's a lot of planning and, and you have to talk to your kids about the estate planning. I, I know it could be uncomfortable, but you have to tell them, hey, listen, there's some things I'm trying to plan for and and enhance your life in, in the event that we die and we leave the money to you kids, but you have to be proactive yourself on there and you have to you know, talk to an advisor. And a lot of my clients naturally are saying, hey, listen, you're gonna, we want you to reach out to John and work with him because this is what he really specializes for. You know, and it also offers up another, another venue of more maybe, hey, more people potentially looking at life insurance also for a tax-free benefit, so, but to each their own. Yeah, great points as always, John, and something I think we need to all keep in mind. You never know when something's gonna come around the corner, kind of like the SECURE Act did. I mean, we knew it was coming, but we didn't necessarily know it was gonna get passed right at the end of 2019 like it did, and boom, it becomes law, and there's a new lay of the land. And so you have to have a plan that's flexible enough to handle those potential moves and shakes that happen in Congress, and then eventually trickle down into how we have to approach financial planning and retirement over time. If you've got any questions for John about the SECURE Act and how it might impact you, you can always reach out by calling 858-935-6210. That's 858-935-6210. And you can always go online to gosecurus.com. That's gosecurus.com and get in touch via the website. It's getting to know you time. Well, that sound means it's getting to know you time where we ask fun questions of John each month here on the podcast to get to know him a little bit better. And John, I know that you have, uh, you know, kind of this funny nickname uh, that comes along with your uh, interesting personality. I'm curious this week to get to know you better. If you can tell us about your morning routine. And I know that some of your friends and clients, they call you crazy and as your son Jake would say, it starts at zero dark thirty. That that could just be your nickname, zero dark thirty, John Amarillo. <laughs> I'll take it. All right, that was, was that was also the movie that uh, where they killed Bin Laden. That, that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah, exactly. yeah. The morning routine, Monday through Friday, in our house is basically like the movie Groundhog Day. Right, it, every morning is like basically a same re repetition of the one you know the prior day. So. Do you wake yeah, up to the, the same first, song every day? You know what? I always start off in the gym with the same song. Okay. I, so that's, that's kind of like that. <laughs> I do. I have, you know, I have my whole routine and it's actually one of the first things my wife Bree noticed about me when we first met 
is that like I was very structured and scheduled. I, I like discipline and I like schedules. So, you know, I'm a big believer that discipline equals freedom. Uh, stealing that one from Jocko Wilnick. Now, my morning routine, you know, Jake says starts at zero dark 30. Traditionally speaking, up until I, I really became, you know, probably about five or six years ago, I was never a morning person. <laughs> uh, that's my disclaimer. But over the years, I've studied a lot on neuroscience and performance studies, along with the traits of the most successful people in the world. And I realized that all their days started early, really early, almost like the psychological approach of you're getting your day started when probably about 98% of the population are still asleep. So for me, zero dark 30 in my house means my alarm goes off at 0425 hours, 425 a.m. every morning. I do not hit snooze. I believe that's a bad way to start your day. As a matter of fact, I actually tell myself I'm going to shoot out of bed. I'm going to start my day off with a bang. So jump out of bed, quickly go downstairs, chug a 24-ounce glass of water, cup of coffee, get dressed off to the gym where I have the same song that I start with every day, Walter. Then I'm home by about 6.20 in the morning. I shower, um, and depending on when Haley gets up, uh, between 6.45 and 7, uh, if I have that time, I will not waste that time. I will try to do any email work that I can for that 15 to 30 minutes. She gets up, uh, and I'll take her downstairs, and you know, we'll start in on whatever cartoons she wants to watch, usually Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, or now we're getting into the Frozen days. <laughs> And then Jake will usually get up around 7.15, 7.30, and I'm going to give special props to him because the first thing he does every morning is makes his bed, and I mean makes it tight, you know, military tight. And Walter, <laughs> you know Jake's only seven, so kid's amazing, but that's one thing I really always harped on him to do. Now it's automatic because I think uh, you know when you make your bed first thing in the morning, you're, you're starting your day off for good structure. So after that, um, you, you, you know, the you, you've got little soldiers you're already grooming there, it sounds like. I, yeah, yeah. Just discipline and hard work. <laughs> that's right. I have some old school ethics. I think that's what uh, a lot of, you know, the younger generations, you know, are, are lacking a little bit of. So then, you know, the wife will come down after she's ready. We'll have another cup of coffee and some family time before Brie leaves for work around quarter to eight. And then I take over as a daddy daycare for uh, a little bit. I'll make the kids eggs. They'll watch their cartoons. You know, Jake will clean up his breakfast and then he'll do his three exercises every morning. So that's kind of comical because, you know, whether it's push ups or squats and Haley, her favorite exercise is the push up. She'll actually lay down next to him on his stomach and, and kind of just put her head up and down like she's doing push ups. So then uh, 8.30, Jake gets dressed. 8.45, the nanny arrives, and I take Jake to school, and we begin our day. And I, usually I'm starting my you know work day at about 9 a.m. and uh, do my conference calls with my East Coast firms. And, you know, since I only have access to them until about 2 p.m., and then rinse and repeat every day. And, of course, there's the intermittent fast. So, But, you know, for me, I think the biggest thing outside of the family time I actually really work out well at 4.30, 4.45 in the morning. Um, and for me, a gym, the gym is a must. Even if I have an injury, uh, I still try to go because if I miss more workouts, if I miss any workouts, 
And even if I get more sleep, I'm actually more more sluggish that day. Hmm. So that is the it's routine. Kind of interesting, isn't it? You wouldn't think it would be that way. I know, right? But I, I think that uh, yeah, you know, you're just getting your body just that feel that you know that good pump going on. It just it's yeah. uh, you know like jump starting your day. We are what we eat, that's for sure, and we also you know are creatures of habit, and we are what we do in in many ways. And so a body in motion stays in motion, and a body at rest stays at rest. So you know your body's going to respond to what you're kind of telling it to do in the tone you said at the beginning of the day. Did I squeeze enough cliches into that? Was that you did? That was great. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks for filling us in. I'm not going to embarrass myself by sharing my usual routine. I'll just leave it as this is your storytelling time, not mine. Because <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of the snooze button. In fact, way too many times do I hit that snooze button. You know, I'd like to not hit the snooze button, but it's like subconscious. Like, I don't know I'm doing it. It's amazing how many times I'll hit it and then not realize you know, a couple minutes later when I finally do get up, wow, how did I hit it so many times? I don't remember doing that. So I, yeah. I, I need to in adopt the, the I, uh, put, the put it, put it across would, the room kind of thing, you know? Yeah. In the beginning I'd put, I'd do just that. I, I would put the phone across the room. Yeah. You know, in fact, what I'm going to do this uh, tonight, this is what I'm going to do. Instead of having it on the nightstand, I'm going to kind of throw it on the other side of the nightstand. So I'd literally have to like crawl out of bed to go turn it off. That'll wake me up. We'll see if it works. <laughs> Tomorrow. Well, and when when I first started doing it, and, and I got the whole, I, I got the, a lot of this premise from, uh, like I said, his name is Jocko Wilnick, and uh, my wife used to make fun of me because my wife's a very light sleeper, and so she'd hear my alarm go off, and even on the days where I was just brutal, I just, I just say out loud, discipline, and get up. So <laughs> if I if I after, at like a week or two into it, if I was like just five seconds behind, she'd be like, "Discipline!" I'm like, "I'm up! I'm up! I'm out!" Oh my gosh, so, that's great. But she's like, so. she's she's like used to you not having to hit the snooze and listen to your alarm multiple times. So she's like, "Discipline! Get out!" <laughs> yeah, move. <laughs> Too go funny. Back to sleep. Too funny. Well, there you go. Getting to know John Amarino a little bit better on today's show. Uh, let's transition from there, John, into our uh, main topic of discussion today. Uh, a little bit more about cash, and we'll call this all about the Benjamins on today's show. Is cash really a good thing, or can it be a bad thing inside of a financial plan? That might sound like a foreign concept in a way, but I think you'll get what we're getting at here in a moment. Almost everybody, John, likes the idea, certainly, of a healthy bank account. Why wouldn't you? Uh, but I'm curious, what are some of the uh, you know possible uses? Like, let's make it actually tangible. What are the possible uses of cash that make it a, indeed a good idea to have a sufficient amount on hand? Yeah, in cash, it, just like all your other money, I tell my clients, let's give it a job. So this topic plays really right into our bucket style planning. So what are some of the possible uses of cash that we utilize during our planning process. And, and we'll really use utilize cash for three things. Number one, an income stream that you might need within the next 12 months. So let's say you're six months from retirement. What we're going to do is we're going to set aside that last six months. You know, We need to access cash for that 12-month period. So your first six years is employment income. The next six years, we want to set that money aside for cash to get you through that first year. Number two, any planned expenses that you may incur in the next 12 months. So whether it's a great vacation, a new car, or a remodel, you want to put that money aside for cash. And then lastly, 
but most importantly for a lot of the clients is the comfort fund. And this really depends on the clients themselves, um, what their magic number is, what gives you the comfort that the peace of mind that you know you can go to the bank and take that money out right then and there. Now, the rule of thumb is often six months of income, but it, you know, if you want to take out a little bit more than that, you know, within reason, you know, that's perfectly acceptable. So, and what you're really doing here is allocating this money to the bank only, just a savings account or a money market as long as you have access to it. And you're going to sacrifice rates of return for that peace of mind. So that's how we like to use cash. All right. So having said that, then, John, uh, you know, why might it be counterproductive to, uh oh, let's go to the other end of the spectrum, have too much cash on hand? No such thing, right? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, I mean, having too much cash is never a problem, but if you just have it not working for you, that's the problem. So can you have too much cash on hand? Absolutely. And um, what is too much cash? Well, really anything beyond what I just mentioned. And why is that counterproductive? Well, if you remember, you know, back in December, I attended that elite advisors conference in New York. And the famed economist Robert Schiller made a very interesting comment. And he said that cash is the only financial vehicle that over time is guaranteed to lose money, right? Why is that? Because cash does not keep up with inflation or purchasing power. So yeah, what are It almost doesn't seem to make sense on the, when you say that sentence. You've got to kind of like let that absorb a little bit. But yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, the average inflation rate over the course of time has been 3%. You know, maybe now we're, we're down by 2%. But if you're getting 0.1% or essentially a lollipop, you know, every quarter, you're going to lose money over time. And you know, imagine that over 10 years, if you're underperforming inflation by 2%, your money is not worth a dollar. Your dollar is not worth a dollar. It's worth 80 cents. So- you know, and I see a lot of people with money in cash. And the other thing that I see a lot of people with money in is CDs. And their mindset is in the right place. And why do they have this? Because they want that principal protection. So, you know, maybe they're maybe they're really aggressively invested and they're using this as, as, as in their mind, a hedge, but they're not realizing the purchasing power risk. So they're not taking on the purchasing power risk as a uh, you know as something that's going to kind of be on their shoulders there. But why do people sometimes end up with more money sitting in cash than they should? I mean, what leads to that systemic problem? Well, very simply, it, and it's not so much of, of a problem. I still do run into it, but you know, years ago, it, very easily, two thousand eight, right? The majority of the times that we see people sitting on cash is because they experienced a major market loss and they're afraid of that again happening. And, and that's the most common reason. And, and why I see people sitting in cash now is because people will hear pundits say that, you know, we're at market highs and, you know, Warren Buffett says that this is the worst time to be in the market or they misconstrue that. That's not exactly what Warren Buffett means, right? It, when the markets are at all-time highs, yes, there is a lot of financial risk. But you know, if you were in cash last year, you probably missed out on the opportunity to earn another 10, 15% on your money. So you know, it's counterproductive because 
people who are investing in principal protection, whether it's money markets or CDs, they don't understand that not only are they getting low rates of return that you know may or may not just barely keep up with inflation, but those financial vehicles are actually taxed at the highest marginal tax rates. And they are the least friendly tax rates for any investment out there. So let's say you're getting a CD and that CD is 2.5%. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, I'm basically keeping up with inflation. My dollar is going to be worth a dollar. But you're in the 22% tax bracket. You're actually returning only 1.95% net of taxes because any of that income that you took from either your employment or your IRA distributions, that money gets taxed first. And then your interest income. So, you know, you're going right at the top of the bracket where you're at. And we're not even including the tax hits from marginal tax traps like Social Security. So, you know, you have to be aware that uh, you also got the tax risks of the interest occurred on those accounts. Well, I think it's just really interesting conversation to talk about cash in this way, having too much or too little, and uh, that there is kind of a right balance to hit. For maybe a client, John, who's gotten used to having that large amount in the bank, what's the best way that they can invest more efficiently without suddenly giving themselves a heart attack because they're watching their money go up and down in the market every day and they're used to having that big cushion in place? What kind of solutions do you usually find for folks like that? Well, I mean... You're really, you only really have a couple other options. And that's one is invest in extremely conservative investments, right? And don't even be concerned about the positive rates return. Know what your risk tolerance, well, you know, if the analytics, what would the analytics say if 2008 happened, how much would I lose, right? So, you know, maybe the analytics say you, you could potentially lose five or 6% in one year. But, you know, I, I, some of our conservative investments were, eight to 11%, you know, depending on allocations last year, you know, if you're getting a couple of years like that and you do take a step back and you lose 5% in one year, you know, over the course of time, you're still going to be much better off being invested, right? Jeremy Siegel, you know, uh, famed financial guru says it, listen, the best place, you know, to make money is, has always been the market. So, you just want to be extremely, extremely conservative, right? You, you know, and if you're fine earning three or four percent, that's fine. You just have to, you know, understand that, you know, when the market's up twenty percent and you're earning three or four or five, that's because you're really trying to protect your principal. The other alternative, and it has some issues of its own, is the fixed index annuity. And the reason why I, I do have some clients that do the fixed index annuity is because it allows them to participate in market growth for a percentage of that market growth while protecting their principal. So my clients, you know, like that. Now you again have to be aware of what that insurance contract says and any of the costs involved with it, and that you will have a lack of liquidity for a portion of your money, but. If you're willing to accept those trade-offs, then, you know, I, I've had clients that have averaged five plus percent in their annuities uh, over the last five years. So they're extremely happy with them. Um, but you have to understand the trade-offs. Everything has a trade-off indeed. So there you have it. Good conversation on cash in your accounts. Too much, too little, a lot to consider there. And uh, also some food for thought, some things to think about in the future. Uh, before we wrap up today's show, John, it's time to answer one of our listeners' questions. 
It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. All right, on the mailbag this week, John, we've got a question from Lisa in Carmel Valley. And Lisa says, I'd really like to meet with a financial advisor, but my husband says we're fine handling our investments ourselves. Is it okay to do this without help? Interested in your answer, John, do you see your fair share of this type of client? Yeah, I I do, Walter. Um, Honestly speaking, from a holistic standpoint, it is extremely difficult to maximize your retirement in every aspect of the complexities of retirement by doing it yourself. You know, when we look at just tax planning alone, I attend as a professional and I do this, you know, this is my career. I attend two to three conferences a year. I spend over $10,000 a year on software and training alone, along with monthly webinars, mastermind forums. There's a lot of complexities to retirement planning. I'm not, you know, trying to say, oh, I, you know, I this I spend this much money. I'm, I'm trying to get the point out that even as a professional, that retirement is such a fluid thing that you know it takes a lot of time, money, and effort to get to the point that I've gotten of helping out my clients. So if you're going to do it yourself, you must treat this as a full time job. You just retired from one job and you are going into another career because your future depends on it. So if you really want a, a, an efficiently ran retirement plan that gives you the highest probability of success, then you know you do need to look for a professional. And you know I will say this, the biggest thing I've seen with do-it-yourselfers is they often have too much risk in, you know, in their investments. And, and think about this, Walter, the majority of do-it-yourselfer investors have been created over the last 10 years, right? You know, now you have all these companies, you know, do it yourself, do it yourself. And over the last 10 years, the market has had its longest bull run in history. So over the last 10 years, many of these people have never had to manage through a market recession. And as we've talked about time and time before, and we'll talk about, you know, on, you know, a future podcast on, on the road, roadmap uh, to retirement success, the investment aspect of planning when it comes to investors is in the, the comment that is statistically proven that investors are irrational. That's not my opinion, right? This is based on facts developed over decades of studies by quantitative tanks like Dalbar. Investors panic or they do what we call freak out when the market experiences losses and they make irrational emotional decisions. As a do-it-yourself investor, you must know how to develop a sustainable income stream for both spouses. You must be able to have a diverse and fundamentally sound investment policy. You must be tax efficient, and you must be aware of the potential of future higher taxes. But even more so, you must be able to maximize your Social Security benefits. You must be able to make proper Medicare decisions, which I just heard a statistic on a webinar yesterday that People make over $6.4 billion a year in Medicare errors, in their um, timing errors. Just a bit, just a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, $31 trillion, I think, in, in uh, poor Social Security claiming. You also must be aware of required minimum distributions and the marginal tax traps that go along with Social Security, Medicare, and RMDs. And then when that's all over, you must be aware of the estate planning laws, specifically when it comes to that surviving spouse, right? Because what happens, right? Income goes down, 
expenses typically stay the same and your taxes go up. So I think we can agree, Walter, that was all, that's a lot to tackle for one person. And, and that is why I see a lot of issues with the do-it-yourself program. And just like in the medical field, WebMD can only get you so far. That's a great point, John. And if that rings a bell with anybody who has tried to go about it on your own before and had some troubles, and it's, it's not the same trouble for everybody. You know, for some folks, it's the discipline side of it that becomes a challenge. For others, it may be the knowledge side of things. For others, it may be the communication. There's lots of different ways that it can be... Um, you know, good or bad to go about things on your own. But one thing is for certain, it comes with a lot of complications and you want to get this stuff right. If you get it wrong, you're in trouble. I mean, there's not a lot of time on your side, especially if you're approaching retirement to recover from mistakes. And that's why doing it yourself is certainly a very risky option if you don't have all of that know-how and background that John has described on today's show. So if you want to get some information, if you want to meet with John to learn a little bit about what it's like to work with an advisor, how much of a benefit you get by having somebody helping you through this process, do invite you to reach out. You can call 858-935-6210 to get in touch with John. Again, he serves you throughout the San Diego area with an office on Trina Street, right there off of Interstate 15 next to Scripps Ranch High School. You can also go to gosecurus.com online to get in touch that way. gosecurus.com, the place to check out there. Well, John, it's a great show today, uh, packed in a lot of great information. Certainly, there's some helpful things inside that show for somebody, I would think. And uh, we'll look forward to another great show with you coming up around the corner. All right, Walter. Take care. We really appreciate it. That's John Amarino. I'm Walter Storhold. We'll talk to you next time right back here on the Retire Happy Podcast. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and Securus Financial are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM, but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents. The opinions expressed by John Amarino and guests on this radio show are their own and are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine and future results. Any strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Before acting on any information mentioned, please consult with a qualified tax or investment advisor to determine if it is suitable for your specific situation. This program is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to subject covered.